Before we get started, I need to thank a new Patreon patron. Thank you, Kurt Davies, for becoming a patron of the original cast, and you have joined at a very exciting time, and I know I say that every time, but it just keeps getting more exciting because while last year was the year of Barbara Streisand, this year is the year of Barbara Harris. Still working on pronouncing those two names differently. Yes, Barbara Harris, the Tony Award-winning actress, the wonderful comedian, and underappreciated in her time, in my opinion. We are going through 12 Barbara Harris motion pictures, some of which she's the lead, some of which she's supporting, but we're asking the same question of all of them. Is this movie only good because of Barbara Harris? You can listen to our test episode on Peggy Sue Got Married. That's on the main feed. And this month, we are going to be talking about Secondhand Hearts, the movie from romantic comedy from 1981. Uh, with the members of the That Aged Well podcast. It's going to be a real ball. If you're a patron at the mezzanine or orchestra level, you can join us for a live stream recording of that very episode. So go over to patreon.com slash originalcastpod, become a patron of the original cast, gain access to the original cast of the movies, and support the art that you love. All right, here's the show. Whenever my world falls apart, I never lose hope or lose heart. Whatever the form of the storm that may brew, not with you to lean on, darlings, you. Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is the incoming president and CEO of the Music School of Delaware. It's Stephen Baudouin, everybody. Hey, Patrick. Hey, Stephen. How are you? I am terrific. Fantastic. Lovely to speak to you as the... Incoming president and CEO of the what is now the Music School of Delaware, what was called when I went there the Wilmington Music School uh, on Lee Boulevard. And so when uh, yes, when we were put uh, when we were put in contact, I was very excited to speak to you uh, about those hallowed halls. My mother used to be on the board. It's a whole thing in my family. Yes, <laughs> I wish listeners could see the shock on your face at the moment. Yes. Uh, Wilmington, Delaware, born and raised, am I? So we will talk about the Music School of Delaware and your journey there and your plans for it. But before we get there, you are here to talk about Annie. When I'm stuck with a day that's gray and lonely, I just stick up my chin. Absolutely. The the mega musical smash sensation. Annie, tell me, Stephen, how did Annie come into your life? Oh, well, I, I, my head is still swimming from the... the, the <laughs> I dropped too big a bomb on you. That was a big, that was a big intro, Patrick. This whole, you're an alum. Of, I am, this, yes. of this school that I get to lead. Okay, so we'll we'll yes. do a separate podcast about that. We'll do a whole. We'll get right to it. We'll get to it in one second. But let's let's do it. Let's let's give Annie its due here because this is ostensibly about you and not me. So how did, let's talk about how did Annie come into your life? Well, this is this is ostensibly, mm-hmm. and this is answering your question. This is actually ostensibly about my mother, mm. which is how Annie came into my life. And now, Patrick, I, I'm I'm a um, I'm a sensitive guy. I'm a sensitive boy, and uh, and so uh, don't be surprised if, in the context of our conversation about Annie today, I get a little emotional, okay. uh, be- because uh, because we're going to talk about my mom. Because mm. my one of my earliest memories of singing, and one of my earliest memories of of the connection between music and emotion was uh, my mom and her relationship with this show. Uh, should I tell you more? Please do. Okay. So uh, my one of my first earliest memories as a very young kid uh, is this, that um, I grew up in Independence, Missouri, and it's a suburb of Kansas City. And uh, Kansas City and Independence, and that's a part of the Midwest where there's a lot of thunderstorms. It's right in the middle of Tornado Alley. Mm. And as a kid, 
I was really scared of thunderstorms, really scared of tornadoes. And we had some crazy weather. We had flooding. We had tornadoes. We had, and, and my mom, I'm the youngest of four kids, and my mom figured out pretty early on that I was a sensitive boy and that mm. I was, was scared of thunderstorms and lightning. And so she would sing to me uh, at my bedside as a way to calm me down. And one of the songs that she sang to me was Maybe mm, from Annie. Sure. And so one, and I, I think the entire score is terrific. And we're going to unpack mm-hmm. hopefully every moment of this show tonight, today. <laughs> but but, but I, I think that that maybe, and probably it's because of this deep emotional childhood connection I have to this song. But I, th- I think maybe is an underappreciated uh, part of the score. Everyone knows tomorrow. Mm. People think of the NYC, uh, uh, the NYC sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, people think of never fully dressed without a smile. But but um, my my earliest childhood memory is my mom crouching at my bedside and singing maybe far away or maybe real nearby and doing the whole song. And it just brought me so much peace. And so she she gave me at some point, maybe it was a Christmas gift, maybe it was a birthday gift. She gave me, because of my interest and wanting to know where is this song from, she gave me a tape, a good old tape, Patrick, mm-hmm. of the original, that legendary original Broadway cast album. And I wore that tape out. And I, 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 I got to tell you, uh, not so long after probably months after getting this tape, maybe days after getting this tape, minutes after getting this tape, <laughs> I, I was I was choreographing the entire show. Oh wow. In my in my head. In head. And maybe maybe also maybe also in my bedroom with my dolls. Mm, sure. Like you do. Like I mean, you it's do. What, it's what W. S. Gilbert did. Let's not, you know, that's how he blocked his shows. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So, so, and, and many, many gay boys from across America. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and non gay boys and, and, right. and boys and girls. Uh, he's, he's, she's, and they is uh, all across mm-hmm. America. Yes. That's, that's, yes. that's what I was doing as a, as a little kid was, was choreographing my dolls to, to a hard knock life. <laughs> sure. And, and very quickly learning every, not only every lyric, and every note, but every uh, every little f- little Philip, every little moment in the orchestration. I think the orchestration for Annie is mm. another piece that is so underappreciated. Just the brilliance of the orchestration. Even when you think, I want I, I want to take you to this moment because I was just listening to it before this conversation. Even when you take maybe, uh, mm. which is the first real song of the show after the after the overture, just the simplicity of the cello. And the clarinet in mm. duo at the beginning, and mm. that the the sort of uh, you hear the melody in the clarinet, and you hear that cello giving this rich sort of counter melody to it. And I'm thinking, it, it it's just so simple, but it's so effective. It immediately brings you this emotional feeling. It's one of those musicals, I think, that is so was so big and does have some iconic, you know, imagery, catchy tunes and a lot of, you know, it's kids and dogs and there's some gimmicks in it that it may be unfairly the the artistry of it gets overlooked in the sort of way it is put together in the way, like you say, it's orchestrated. And in the fact that it is like, it's built like a brick shit house, this show, like it is so tightly put together and assembled musically and, and then and, and libretto and, and the libretto that you really can't, like, I think it's one of the great, um, the great testaments to the show that every, you know, it's what like a lot of shows from this period, they get revived or they get put on other places and they swap songs in and out a lot. You know, they move things around. They, they add cut songs or they write a song for it. And this, this did have one or two songs that sort of came in for like a Nell Carter's revival had a Mm -hmm. edition and Anthony Warlow got a, got a song added in. Uh, But generally 
the show you see now is the show they put on in the late seventies and that's it. Like this thing just absolutely drives and works in a very, very basic uh, music theater way. It is so effective. I agree completely. It is so effective. It's so well put together. And I, I have, uh, it's interesting because I, I do think it, because it, became such a blockbuster and because it's been revived mm-hmm. so many times. And, and one of my, one of my first Tony awards memories was, was seeing Nell Carter in mm-hmm. that is like a late nineties revival yeah. come out and come out and, you know, shake her thing as, <laughs> as Miss Hannigan yeah. and do, doing it and, and was so entertaining. And then I, I have another distinct memory of seeing um, who was it? It was Jane Lynch in yes. the 2012 13 revival as miss hannigan yes. so there i mean it, it has been done so much but yet i agree completely it it really is so well put together and and again maybe because of this childhood connection but also because of uh of um i i think it just works and it what what mm-hmm. i love that works about it is that it is i think at its best it is just a uh a a uh, a real sincere um sincere cry for just optimism and mm-hmm. and that uh and there's something so effective about that it really is at its heart and another reason i think it works so well is that it is it's so funny that this th- it it really walks this line as a show that is really about the the optimism over cynicism uh the which obviously being set during the great depression pre-world war ii like this is this is when you tell this story and it is i mean it can depend on the production it can lean this way but i really have to say a a good production of annie leaning into the material the material i should say isn't cloying it's never it never leads into saccharine product we've all seen you know maybe community theater productions or any juice which get a little bit cute and that's fun that is what that is but i think the 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 show itself and the writing really walks this very careful line and keeps it on just on this side of uh of of just sort of like oh drip sugary sweetie kind of you know like it, it really has this this drive to it that keeps you engaged the whole way um, because the stakes are so well established with Mm -hmm. our, our excellent, most excellent villains as lots of great (laughs) music theater, uh, musical comedy, especially uh, has this show has some of the best villains uh, you are going to find in some of the best comedy. villains and, and some of the by the way for all, all this all the sweetness i i i just mm-hmm. i'll blame that on sandy every time oh okay i, I blame it on the dog yeah. i mean put it straight on the dog yeah 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 you know it's like if it's <laughs> it's if they just no uh yeah. the uh yes i think uh i i think that's i think that's right the, the villains i think the one of the other things that when I think about my introduction to this show and I think about what was I, what was I thinking about and what was I learning about myself and about the world through this show, especially as a young kid, one of the first real musicals that I dug my teeth into. Um, I want to talk about New York city in a second, but I think Mm. one of the first things talking about villains, one of the first things that I didn't know I was learning, but I think I was learning was about camp. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't you can't listen to Dorothy Loudon really in anything, but especially here, but especially here, especially yes. here, you can't yes. listen to Dorothy Loudon without getting a masterclass in villainous camp. Oh yeah, uh, just the 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 her arch hate. I mean, it's it's so it's so inconceivable. I think when you think about it, when when she. You know her big complaint, obviously her great song "Little Girls" being an excellent, uh, an excellent villainous turn. But you know, you I always find myself sort of asking, how did you get into this line of work? Like it just, it really feels like you're in the wrong job. It couldn't be in a worse job if you tried for your disposition, and it's just so perfect that she's in this job. And it's the depression. Like you have a job. She's very lucky to have a job. Uh, you you got to have a gimmick. You got, but you got to have a gimmick, right? Exactly. Uh, but she's, I mean, just in the worst spot working in all, a, an orphanage for little girls. And obviously she can't stand little girls. And it's just 
man, you are in the wrong spot, lady. I don't know where you should be, but it ain't here. <laughs> it ain't here. But it, but but everything about it works, and like there there oh, is yeah. just like the 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 characterization the vocalization the and and then when you add in uh who's it rooster and then right and um who's who's the other uh lily tweed girl lily yes when yeah, you add lily, a rooster yeah. and lily um by the way so can we do a sidebar here sure let's do a sidebar here because well, i do have a beef with annie and it's a personal beef oh okay not not with annie the character but with 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 the show which my beef is that i've never gotten to do it I was going to ask you if you've ever gotten to do it. <laughs> I've never gotten to do it. Now, those, you can't see me on screen. You, those of you, if yeah. you're looking at me on screen, you might say, oh, here is a Daddy Warbucks. Sure. I, I see a daddy. I see a bald man with some facial hair, ra maybe rather imposing looking. I don't know. Some might say. <laughs> uh, and, and, and yet, and, and so I remember I auditioned for a youth theater production of Annie and I went in, I was one of those kids at 16 Patrick that came out fully formed and in my head. I'm doing daddy Warbucks. This is sure. what I'm doing. And I came in audition and they called me a few days later. They said, we're so, we would love to cast you as rooster. And I, in my impetuous 16 year old oh, no. <laughs> self said, Oh, no. I, I, I'm sorry. I only auditioned for Danny Warbucks. Oh, no. I'm not. And I regret that to this yes, day. Of course you do. <laughs> oh, man. The things we do. Could have done it. Could have done it. <laughs> Didn't get to do it. I just I just wanted to I just wanted to, you know, I just wanted to growl on Easy Street. I wanted to give you vocal fry on Easy sure. Street. That's all I ever wanted, and I never got to do it. Yeah. Oh, who doesn't want to be Tim Curry? No, no, no. That's so, yeah. that's. A, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. That's a shame that you got. Oh, well. Well, I mean, you live, Hope you springs grow. eternal. Hope springs You're eternal. You're still, I mean, you haven't aged out of Daddy Warbucks. I wouldn't, you know. You, you know, know thank you. Thank you for that. I, I mean, the other concept, I think, could be just doing the whole show myself. Sure. Yeah. The great one, the one person, Annie, Yeah, one person, Annie, I think. Yeah, I think uh, I don't know how that would work, but I that the world has been clamoring for <laughs> everyone's been asking this. That that new right. that new present CEO of the music school of Delaware. When is he going to right. give us that one give person, that one person, Annie, that, that everyone's one person, Annie. Now, yeah. I, I I am interested. You you you. Um, oh, we, we were going to sidebar about NYC. About New York yes, City. Yes, I wrote that down. Yes, let's talk about NYC. Let's talk about New York City because – so think of this. Midwestern, gay kid, creative kid, musical kid. Uh, I I did not know – when, when did I first hear this cast album? When I was seven or eight, mm -hmm. nine? I had no idea of what – I had never been to New York City. I had never left Independence, Missouri. Mm-hmm. So my earliest ideas of what New York City was is the song in NYC. Annie. Okay. And is the song NYC. So so I mean literally parading around my bedroom, you know, doing the doing the what what's her name with the suitcase? The NYC. The rising star, right? The rising star, yeah, the, the belter. Star, yeah. Yeah. Right. Like doing doing that whole shtick and the like yeah. and I had it gave me this like emotional thrill to think and and I cannot step foot inside New York City without thinking about that damn song in my head. But it but it's also it's also the because like for many for many people in in the world who may never have a chance to go to New York City and see a Broadway show, their idea of what New York City is at its best is mm -hmm. a little bit through the show sometimes. Oh sure. Oh yeah, and it's the it's the perfect I mean, for that sense of like being a Broadway show, you know, for for people like a Broadway show about New York and not about New York in in a realistic way, but in that great fantasy fantasy. Way. Yes. Oh, sure. Be. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Three bucks, two bags, one me. Right. It's all very. And like you say, what having the star to be be there to be like she's off the bus. She's got her suitcase. She's ready to go. And it's called star to be. So obviously, like she there's, again, optimism there. Not like, you know, girl from Ohio, as it would yeah. be in the like, Bernstein version. <laughs> uh, this is like, yeah, she's she's ready to ride. You know, she's she's yeah. here to go. And she's going to she's going to make it after all in, in the uh, in the big city. And why see? 
Is there a straight line you can draw between sort of like th this experience with Annie and then your career in in music? Was this sort of or was your, it sounds like you had a very musical household of your mom was singing you know, a variety of songs to you to, to, to comfort you as a child? did have a very musical household came from a very creative family and and we will come back there's more to say about my mom we'll come back to my mom okay um hi nada i know you're going to be okay. listening um <laughs> <laughs> she didn't know this was happening uh yeah. i did come from a very creative family my grandparents on my dad's side were dance teachers oh okay yeah so they they founded actually in 1931 they founded a dance studio in uh i think it was a fig grove in a town that later became Palo Alto Ooh. and ran it for 70 plus years. And my uh, grandfather taught dance. He was a hoofer. He was a tapper sure. until his seventies, I think maybe early eighties. And my grandmother taught dance until she was late nineties, maybe even a hundred wow. and uh, Flo and Heston. And then Mabel who, who uh, passed uh, very early on, but, but, hmm. Um, um, Mabel and, and Heston founded the dance studio when Mabel passed, uh, Heston remarried Flo and they taught dance for decades. This is a long story, but it tells sure, you no. that that's, that's the stock that I'm that's from in there. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. And then, and my mom who was, a uh, in a, of all things in Texas in a bagpipe marching band growing up <laughs> as, as one and does. That that's a series of words. <laughs> yes, yeah, that, that, that good old Texas bagpipe marching right. band. This was this is some decades That's great. ago. But, I'll uh, tell you. And then she be she was a pianist, and, and we had a beat up old upright piano in our tiny little living room, and so that's. Mm -hmm. My my earliest memories are sitting down with my mom at the piano bench, writing the names of the notes into the sheet music in pen before mm -hmm. I knew better. Oh, uh, wow. And and you know, singing. We we would open the Reader's Digest songbook, and we'd sing, you know, "Ain't She Sweet," and we'd sing uh, Beatles covers, and we'd sing right. "Moon River." Uh, and so that's that's where my earliest inclinations came from. And then, did you study? you know, in school and decide that or sort of early that music was going to be your, not just a passion, but a vocation for your, for your life? Well, I, I had not the benefit of going to a Sterling institution as you did. I did not have the benefit of an amazing uh, community. That's great. That's a compliment and a plug in one maneuver. Very nice <laughs> that. You, will, you will go far, sir. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, uh, in all seriousness, I, I had amazing, wonderful teachers. I did not go to a community music school, but had uh, wonderful mm. teachers uh, and attended a, a fine and performing arts high school in Kansas City called Paseo Academy. Go Pirates. Shout out to Paseo. Paseo was a life-changing opportunity. It, sh it shaped and changed my worldview in a, in a really profound way that only now am I beginning to understand. Because mm. part of what that uh, showed me is that art art and music are, are really fundamental human rights. Mm -hmm. And, and that... Um, Every person uh, uh, across every type of lived experience, across every part of the socioeconomic spectrum, across every uh, uh, every uh, religion, LGBT status, uh, uh, folks of color, every, every person deserves the chance to be creative and to live their full lives and be their authentic creative selves. And that that definitely stayed with me, has stayed with me as a strong theme throughout my entire career. I mean, that's that's sort of, I think, the the ideal experience for for music education, that it can open you to all the experiences. Like, it's not just about 
music for the sake of performance for the for sake of you know perfection or career advancement or any of that that it is really a lived experience all the way all the way through that's absolutely that's wonderful stuff um so let's hop in for a little bit we'll hop into music school a little bit and then see and see where that that takes us uh but so how did you become associated with the the now music school of delaware it's gone up in the world since i was a student there it looks like <laughs> well, now I, I, I want to ask you what years you attended. Sure. So I was at the music school. Let's see. This would have been I was in high school. I studied voice with Dr. Michael Larkin from probably 93 to 98 would be my my time there. Uh, my mother had been on the board before that. My mother plays piano. Again, I also come from very, very musical family. Um and she was it was just one of the things she she was involved in uh, as, as, you know, her, her volunteering. Um, she was on the board of the music school. And so she she I took voice there and my younger brother uh, studied piano there for for a number of years. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just always part of it was it was right around the corner. I mean, it still is right around the corner, I should say, from uh, the Wilmington Drama League, which is where I always did uh, community theater. Um, and so it was, you know, we spent a lot of time in that part of town <laughs> doing, doing, doing the arts. Uh, but it was great. It was, it was a wonderful facility, obviously. And it was, it was, you know, a, a great experience. That's when you study, you know, when you study voice, especially at that age, and it really opens up your experience and your ability. And, you know, the, the, the things I, I, I always tell people who want to even if they if they don't think they want to sing professionally like the if you want to be an actor if you want to speak you need to learn how to the things i learned in voice lessons i still use today just in general you know speaking or when i'm teaching or any of those like the ability to control my voice not lose my voice <laughs> you know which is a huge was a huge problem for me in high school when i was in performance i would lose my voice routinely just from over exuberance uh they're invaluable. They're absolutely invaluable. So I have a tremendous amount of affection for for the that uh, that institution that you are you are stepping into the the big seat on there. So how did that was my that's my journey. How what what was your journey to the to the big chair? Well, I I love that. And that mean that means we've got to have you back on campus, Patrick. Sure. <laughs> Which would be I'm a lot up, of I mean, fun. my family's still there. I'm in Wilmington all the time. So just, okay, <laughs> just great. hit me up. Cool. Yeah, we'll do it. Uh, so, yeah. So so. Um, this is this is an interesting story a little bit. So my my career has been rich and varied. I I have have been professionally in the performing arts since I was really sixteen or seventeen. So I, I joined mm. the Actors Union when I was very young, when I was sixteen, uh, to to oh, work wow. in professional theater in Kansas City. And so I worked at um, the American Heartland Theater. Uh, I worked at some other theaters in town. And then when I moved to Boston for school, uh, was a student at New England Conservatory of Music and then worked at Lyric, Lyric Stage Company of Boston, worked at New Repertory Theater, rest in peace, New Repertory Theater, sadly, mm-hmm. uh, Boston Playwrights Theater and a number of other places. And um, this is primarily uh, like singing or acting or both or what's your, you music know, theater, in, did a lot of music, music theater, theater, but, okay. I, but I, I was always interested in everything. So I mm-hmm. I. It, good art is good art. So I, I'm sure. just as interested in Kurt Vile as I am in Philip Glass, as I am in uh, Rameau, as I am in Henry Purcell, uh, as I am in Tom Stoppard. You know, it's I'm, I'm interested mm-hmm. in, in great, great art and great performance. And so uh, in, in the 22 years or 20 some years uh, that I've been working professionally in the performing arts, I've done a lot of different things, uh, have worked on the producing side with a, a symphony orchestra, with a chorus, uh, uh, worked as a performer, of course, ran a community arts education program that worked with adult artists with intellectual disabilities. Mm in portland oregon i did that for seven years called fame p-h-a-m-e shout out to fame in Mm. portland phenomenal organization still doing beautiful important work to build a more inclusive uh creative world and um and when this opportunity came to me uh through some colleagues in the field and through a, a really special recruiting firm it really spoke to me patrick because like like a lot of people including yourself my life was fundamentally changed for the better by the belief and support of of music teachers mm. and and by uh music and arts teachers that that challenged me and that expanded my worldview and perhaps most importantly um uh 
pointed pointed up or painted painted a, a picture of of possibility for me that was much larger than even what I thought I could accomplish as a as a mm. kid, and and uh, said yes yes what you're doing is great but but you have to challenge you owe it to yourself to challenge yourself to go further. Mm. And so when yeah. I was when I was thinking about this opportunity with the Music School of Delaware and interviewing and meeting faculty and staff and board members and supporters and community partners, uh, I kept calling in those teachers. I'm you know, thinking of Dr. Sheila Phillips and thinking of Terry Erb and thinking of Angelo Chalia um, and, and, and thinking of Susan Klickner and all of those teachers that, that just poured themselves into me. And I feel a real obligation to, to pay it forward uh, to the next generation. I mean, that's fantastic. I, I, we, we talk a lot on this podcast about the importance of art education, but but it, in addition to that, it's the importance of the right kind of attitude in arts education, because um, I think so many of us have encountered teachers through the years, either we had them or we we knew them through through association who um, are basically the, the cliche of the frustrated performer who seem to try to think there's one way to do things and pit students against each other and create this environment that isn't conducive to arts education, which should be ultimately, like you say, good art is good art. If you're doing good work, if you're being your best self, if you're creating, you know, the best that you can, then that's the goal. And I really like what you just said about being challenged by your teachers, not just resting on your laurels, but being handed complicated pieces of material. Um, and even things I remember Dr. Larkin would give me things to sing that he would say, you're never going to sing this in public. This is never going to be a thing you're, you're hard to sing, but you should sing it because, you know, X, Y, Z, because the rain, it has a great jump in the range or it has some, there's some aspect of it that should, you know, you should do it. And it was that wonderful idea that not everything has to have a goal in the performance sense. Not everything has to have a goal of like, this is for your book, this is for here, this is for when you do this. It's like, no, just sing this, it's good. And it'll, it'll teach you something, you know, it has an educational value to it. But education for education's sake gets kind of lost, I think sometimes in arts education, uh, which can be very goal oriented, like I say, to performance and to success. And to performance and success. And now, now to academic outcomes, mm -hmm. now to career outcomes and, and listen now to, 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 you know, financial outcomes. There is, there's, I, I will always be an advocate for, and, and, and I will always be an advocate for, um, for trumpeting what all the research has shown about, the, the power of arts education and music education in um, in supporting individuals and in being more college and career ready in uh, uh, in supporting individuals in um, in uh, in developing skills and attributes that are handy in many types of professional settings right and we can never forget that some of what we're doing is is developing souls and mm -hmm. developing, uh, emotional intelligence and developing empathy uh, and developing leadership, developing mm -hmm. leadership. Uh, and those things are very hard to quantify. They're very hard to quantify. They're worth talking about, but they're very developing character. What mm -hmm. a concept developing character. What does it mean to be a musician with integrity? What does mm -hmm. it mean to be a musician that is honest? Right. Um, mm -hmm. What does it, what does it mean to be uh, a musician with good ethics? Um, so developing those those traits of character uh, and developing the the souls and, and emotional lives of musicians at all ages, including still today. You know, we work not mm -hmm. only, as you know, at the Music School of Delaware, we work not only with with kids, but with adults and sometimes uh, aging adults, adults at mm -hmm. all ages. And and they, too, are, you know, every day, all of us are learning and developing continuously. So, mm -hmm. Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's obviously the, the effects of music on the brain are well documented that it's good for you at every, every stage of your life and keeps you, keeps you sharp and keeps you, uh, keeps you alert and keeps you young, I'm sure to a, to a great extent. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just such a, it, it it's yeoman's work you're, you're about to embark upon. <laughs> and I think it's, it's great to hear you speak of it in those terms in the, in the terms of of educate of, of you know like we were we've been saying for for the joy and the love and the and the, the all the benefits of 
and also embracing the ambiguities of it. The the sort of like you say, there's no clear roadmap here. There's no one to one benefit necessarily, but we we it's it's all good. It's a good thing to do, and it's a good place to be, and and we all enjoy it. And uh, it's the sort of you know positive outlook one could only find in a musical like Annie. Uh, as I segue us right back over that way. Uh, yeah, I'm very good at this. Um, De- but it's definitely a- <laughs> done. Def, thank you very much. Well, you've set a high bar with that compliment promo. So I have to, I have to keep my, I got to keep myself on, on, on toast here. You know what, Stephen, I want to ask you a question. Uh, it's a specific question, but I think it, it has to be addressed. Uh, what do you think of tomorrow? Oh, <laughs> Ooh, the step back oh. and exhale. Oh man. <laughs> okay, so so tomorrow is this is a really I mean tomorrow deserves its own podcast. Sure. Um to, you know, I it mm, what are the words even to describe the feeling? I mean, when when I think when it's delivered simply, I think like many mm-hmm. good songs because I think it is actually very well written. Mm-hmm. And so I think I think lyrically, musically, I think if it, if you just sing the song, just mm-hmm. sing the song, it doesn't need to be sold. It doesn't mm-hmm. need to be overwrought. It, sometimes it's okay to let the song sing itself. So mm-hmm. the performances that I love of that song are the performances that just sing themselves, where it's not about trying to wring every emotional drop from it. And it's not about histrionics and it's not about scrolting and it's not about this or that, you know, right. it, it, it just delivers it simply. It, I mean, it's cause it is one of those songs with up there, you know, with defying gravity and the ladies who lunch and all these like iconic hits, you know, from, from the shows, uh, but it is also, I think what's so interesting about Tomorrow from a from a directing standpoint, from a staging standpoint, is I had this experience. I directed Godspell once and we got to, you know, the big hit song from Godspell, which is Day by Day. It comes right there at the beginning of Act One. You're, you're, you got to deal with it right up front. And I was working on it with the performer. And it was at that point that I realized that this song doesn't go anywhere. We were literally just singing the same the same thing for three and a half minutes. And I really I had set myself a, a, a goal as a director with that show that was like, we're not going to go into the audience. We're not going to like lean on that crutch. We're going to keep it on the stage. We're going to like interact with the audience, but we're going to keep the fourth wall firmly attacked. And I'll tell you what, on verse three of Day by Day, I don't know what you do except jump into the audience, man, because there's just not a lot of staging to do. There's not a lot to cling on to here in this number. And tomorrow kind of has that problem a little bit from the, you know, that she she's just she's she's expressing herself and people are watching her express herself and and what is she gonna what is she gonna do you know now it's got the fun it's got a fun surrounding to it uh sure but like you know she's gotta she's really gotta like just 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 you know sing her soul in that moment from the floor you know and it's kind of yeah. hard to, to know what and, to and- do with it and I guess yeah. I don't I don't want her to do anything aside from just sing it like sit, yeah. sing it's just just sing like like don't it's a park and know, bark. Yeah. It's a it's it's a park and and that's and that's okay. It's like yeah, just just sing it authentically and have it come from within and uh, let you know deliver the lyrics. And mm-hmm. I think that 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 uh, I think that does it just fine. Yeah, I think that's really good advice that it it it, it the, the trick often is with songs like that is to just not not try to don't try to do your own thing because you're not it's so hard to succeed in that. But if you just sing the song. Yeah. Like I mean, say, no one's no one's no one's riffing on tomorrow. No one's, right. you know, it's like <laughs> Shoshana Bean is not like. Right. Yeah. Seven a day. Laying you know, it all this, out. This, yeah. She's not, you know, okay. <laughs> although I would love to. I would love to hear. Show right. Bean I mean, give us some yeah, riffs let's, on tomorrow. Yeah. Show Bean, if you're listening, please give right. us a tomorrow. Get with back lots to of us. lots of riffs that Charles Strauss yeah. will never approve. You know, it's the sort of Damocles within this show. That, but again, like this, this show, it's so funny. You don't think of it having banger after banger at the beginning. I mean, maybe's the opening and then Hard Knock Life right away. Another song everybody knows. And then tomorrow, like it's just 
one, two, three, right off the top before we get any, you know, sort of songs you like, we'd like to thank you, Herbert Hoover, which I think everybody in musical theater knows, but maybe not the general population knows. Like it's just hit, hit, hit from that. Yes. In the yes. I'm, and I'm curious. I mean, we, we, I mean, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, what, what, what's the first orphan song again? What is it called? It Hard Knock Life? Me. Hard Knock Life. Yeah. yeah sorry. Just, yeah. just, just get my head for a second. Hard Knock yeah. Life. I mean, uh, my again this this is literally when i had that tape this is this is me choreographing my dolls to hard knock life in my bedroom sure. and and like imagining every every you know pot of array and every you know every step touch with a with a broom uh, and all of that <laughs> but it, but it also made me think so once once i once i started growing up and once i started seeing more theater and once i started being introduced to to new ways of directing and new ways of mm -hmm. conceiving of shows. One of the questions I always had about Annie was this, why, and maybe I've missed something, but why has there been no significant reconception of it? You know, mm. there's many of the great works of musical theater have, whether successful or not, mm -hmm. have, have, uh, it, endured because of or in spite of some some significant directorial uh uh reconceiving re-envisioning and mm -hmm. and i think you could do so much with annie you could do i don't, I don't even want to go down the, the crazy rabbit holes of of different concepts that you could do but why haven't we seen that why is it is it is it because of the uh, because of the uh, owners of the intellectual property that don't allow these reconceptions. But I think Annie of all shows would be rife with some radical reimagining. Well, you are dealing with, I mean, from an IP standpoint, you're dealing with two, two different forces there because you not only have the, the musical, but the actual comic radio program like mm. all the things behind it that you do have to kind of contend with um so that's tricky and i'm sure that plays some kind of role in everything um i mean there is also the problem that you know as as the adage goes never work with kids and animals and this has both in in abundance and i think that you know Evan Hove isn't going to take on Annie necessarily. It's not, it, it, it wouldn't be the material that appeals to that sort of director, but it also, it, it doesn't, I think that unjustly, because like, you're right. I would love to see some grand vision surrounding a show that is ultimately very optimistic. Yes. You know, the grand vision usually goes with shows that have a slight darkness to them and then leans hard into the darkness. And mm -hmm. this, but the thing is like, this does have those aspects to it. Uh, it just exists under the surface as you have like, you know, Annie doesn't find her parents. Her parents are dead mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's dark. You know, like mm -hmm. not to be overlooked, mm -hmm. like the fact that yeah. she, not only that they are dead, but that she is told they are that is right. discovered. Right. Right. And her big dream expressed in maybe <clears throat> is never going to come true. Yes. And that's ultimately what keeps to me the show from going too far over the edge is that like if at the end her parents came out like, oh, give me, a, you know, like, guys, really? Like, this is where we're going to go with this. Right. But right. It, it's much more on the like, no, like life is you're you're, you're beautiful. You're optimistic. You're a sweet mm. kid. You're changing minds. You've made the president super happy. Like, that's kind of weird, but OK. But like, we're not you don't get your parents back. You don't get mm. the only thing you want, really. Mm -hmm. You have you have to go through life now knowing that, like, you don't have your biological parents, but you have all these other people around you. And. I think, but I think ultimately it being viewed as a, it's a kid's show, it's a happy show, it's a blah, you know, yada, yada, yada kind of thing would, would take directors with, you know, serious artistic push and kind of move them away from it. But like, I'd love to see Julie Taymor as Annie. Like, what would well, that look like? Well, I yeah. mean, that's the interesting thing. You know who I was thinking of? I would love to see mm. George C. Wolfe's Annie. Oh, wow. Okay. I would love to see mm -hmm. George C. Wolfe's Annie. And, and let me go a step further because Annie, Annie, of course, just to name it, Annie does not deal with race. Right. A Annie Annie is set in a time in which America 
was not really dealing with race right. or if it was dealing with race it was doing so in an, it was in a, not doing it well yeah. wildly unjust incredibly yes. inhumane in uh, a manner okay and so i i would i have always been intrigued and i, I remember even as an 18 year old a little bit of the there was some brouhaha about Nell Carter's uh, mm-hmm. performance and that in the commercials for that revival, they used a white woman who played that part in the commercials while Nell Carter was, they, this is true. And Nell Carter yeah. was cast in it. And she, it was not a time where she could say overtly what was happening, but she kind of covertly said, I don't think this is right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the producer said, well, we were trying to save money. This is from an earlier production, yada, yada, yada. Right. And so I have always been interested in this question, like, what would what would this story look like through the lens of of a black director and a black visionary Mm -hmm. Um, or 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 any any vision, any directorial visionary of color? What would that look like? Uh, A a person of color centered and because I've I've not seen it. And would that even be would that even be a project that appeals to folks? So I I think often of like, what would the George Seawolf Annie be like? Mm hmm. That's a good, yeah. That's a that's an interesting one. I mean, obviously, we have to say the 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 second film did do did have an African American lead, but it also modernized yes. the story. So yes. it's a different. Yes. I, I what you're talking about being like, let's keep Annie in the 30s, and also put that on top of it. Like, let's yes. see how it. Yeah, let's stress test it that way. So it is a yes. would be a period study. I mean, yes. that would be that would certainly be interesting, and it would yeah. it would give it an extra little a little level to it. Yes. Um, yeah, it's just a funny, you know, it, it, it's really interesting to think of like that it did have, I mean, it's one of the most successful shows ever in its original production. And what's so funny is I, I looked up, I assumed that the revivals that have had two Broadway revivals and obviously countless regional productions and tours and things were not successes. And the Nell Carter revival in the in 97 ran for six months, I think it looks like, but the revival in 2012 ran for two years. Like it, it, so it did have, it did have life to it. You know, after that uh, production, it wasn't just a one-off. Like people still would come to New York and see, uh, like you say, Jane Lynch at Al in, uh, in, uh, in Annie. And it, it just sort of, and Anthony Warlow obviously is, as, as daddy Warbucks. Uh, So it, it does have legs and it does have, life i wonder what the critic like the new the the other problem might be sort of like what your what would the new york broadway audience reaction be to a reimagined annie like i don't know that you know especially now obviously things are are very very tight and very very tense uh commercially Mm -hmm. but like what would that you know would would that have to build up a lot of steam regionally to get like to come into new york i don't think you could sort of launch that straight out of the you know, that's that's interesting, especially when there are so many so many shows, you know, Wiz coming back, so many shows that mm-hmm. that already tell tell those stories authentically from a particular point of view. And and, you know, uh, so it, it, it is interesting to think about. And it also makes me think about who, you know, because so much as as we know, so much of what's driving things that are commercially successful right now uh, on Broadway are are real star vehicles. Uh, and not only Broadway stars, but folks that are coming from film and television. So who who right. would be who, who would, would be, be the, yeah who would be not yeah. only the Annie, but but who would be would be, would be the Warbucks, Daddy yeah. Warbucks that would you know is you know I I can't even imagine like is you know is this Chris Pratt as Daddy Warbucks? Like? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's he's literally everywhere else. So I mean. You know, I... I mean, oh, there man, would that be would worse be... Daddy Warbucks. <laughs> yeah, but I think we can agree there would be better Daddy Warbucks too. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you do. I, I Here's stand the thing. Chris Pratt. I don't know. No, I, I mean that's fine, but like you do have to look good bald. This is another problem because like I just thought, oh, you know who'd be a good Daddy Warbucks would maybe be Christian Borel. But oh, sure. I don't know about what a bald Christian Borel does to my does to the whole like. I think you can yes. play it. I think character-wise, he's got it. Yeah. The chops yeah. exist. Yeah. But you know, I think that might be a tough look for 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 Christian Borel uh, in in. <laughs> oh, I have I have so now I'm going down so many. I'm like I'm thinking of uh, Billy Eichner's Rooster. There you go. Oh, I like that. 
I mean, I guess yeah. when you think of bald Broadway actors, it's Michael Cerveris or Bust, right? Like that's the um, whole. He would be a good Daddy Warbucks. Michael Cerveris would be a great Daddy yeah, Warbucks. Pull that off. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, did, I'm sure did, he did, needs a third Tony Award. He could be. Daddy that's Warbucks, did did yeah. Patty Lapone ever want to play Miss Hannigan? Probably not. Ooh, wow. I mean, that would be I, such an interesting energy to put in that role. Oh my gosh. I mean, the stage might explode. Uh, uh, so, I mean, we could we could go on and on all day. We could. We could go on and this. on and on. Yeah. It feels like Sutton Foster's already done it. I don't know that she has, but it feels like she's no, inhabiting but I think, this again. I think, did she do I it? Think she, I think she did the NYC Star to Be. My recollection is that Sutton, oh, one of Sutton Foster's earliest before. Was, oh, in. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Before Modern yeah, yeah. Millie. Yeah. Right. Was the yeah. Star to Be. Yeah. Star to Be. Well, the, yeah. the Star to Be has, I mean, if you sometime want do your listener want to go down a rabbit hole of all the different people who have played the star to be it's a hilarious list of like because that show ran for so long that the people who churned through it's like all the people who played eponine in in les mis yes. like it's just like this person who later won a tony award this person who later won a, oh. like it just it keep, it's the gift that keeps on giving i that, love that, that that little tiny role i is love just that. a real yeah, I think also because since it is literally like six lines in a song, they cycled through a lot. There were a ton of them, you know. There's well, like and you gotta you gotta make yeah. you gotta make an impression and and yeah, in, oh, yeah and you gotta half. have you, you gotta melt you yeah. gotta melt it with the charisma and come out and do it and blah you blah. You gotta blah, believe blah. that that's a star to be who's gonna yeah. walk on and yeah. sing and never and, and never and be heard were. from again. And then they, they, were. Yeah, they were a lot yeah. of them were. That's what I'm saying. Ah, uh, so Stephen, I have to ask what um. As you're taking this is going to be a very big question, so I don't expect like a, a comprehensive answer. But as you as you take take charge or or sit in the big chair, as I said, of the of the music school of Delaware, what are your sort of immediate goals for the for this school? What are you hoping to to bring to to the music school of Delaware? Yeah, that's a that is a big question. It's a huge question. Yeah, a huge question. <laughs> um, also deserves its own podcast. Uh, I uh, I I can't. Uh, I can't even begin to formulate a cogent, informed response as to what my goals would be because I'm mm. I'm still learning so much about mm. the school and about the state. You know, we are we are a statewide institution. In fact, uh, the Music School of Delaware, get this, is the only statewide accredited community music school in the country. Oh wow. Yeah. Oh, so we go. have we have six locations across Delaware. We're in Lewis. Mm -hmm. We're in Newark, not Newark. We're in Newark. Not Newark. No, Newark. Yeah. Very good. We're in, we're in <laughs> is it, is it Hokesson? Hokesson. Hokesson. We're in Hokesson. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're in, see, I'm still learning. We're in Wilmington. We're in, we're in Milford. We're in Seaford. So, mm -hmm. so we're in locations across the state and, and we, we certainly, part of our mission is to have impact the lives of as many kids and families and adults in the state as possible. Uh, and so instead of telling you about my goals, I can tell you what, what my beliefs are, what my values mm -hmm. are and mm -hmm. how I hope to animate those through this work and i talked a little bit earlier about my belief that art and music are, are fundamental human rights and i really do believe that and and uh because i believe that i think that one of the key questions we need to grapple with and we will grapple with at the music school is what do we mean when we say music hmm what do we mean when we say music? And mm. and I'm I'm not being coy by asking that question. That's a real question because yeah. um, because every music school, whether it's a community music school or a conservatory or a college music program or high school music programs, um, um, by uh, every decision about what you put on stage, what classes you offer, what sort of ensembles you have, what sort of private lessons, what instruments what styles and genres, what practices, what traditions you offer gives you at least an implicit sense of what that institution values and its own definition of music. Mm -hmm. Here's one example. So hip hop celebrated its 50th birthday in 2023. Right. Hip hop is an established musical tradition in America, born and raised in America, hip hop music. Hip hop is not taught or practiced at the music school of Delaware today. Mm -hmm. Now I'm not here to say that my first order business is going right. to be launching, <laughs> launching the yes. hip hop ensemble. What I am right. here to say is that, that, that here we have an established musical tradition that 
Um, I have to imagine that there are, are kids today that listen to hip hop, that love hip hop, that explore hip hop. I listen to hip hop. I'm not an expert, but I, I love I love the music and I love the performers of the genre, which are brilliant and sophisticated is sophisticated musical American tradition um, that because we don't offer that they're they're not interested in what we have. And so this is, you know, jazz jazz was in this spot 50, 60 years ago where mm -hmm. jazz breaking into conservatories was considered in the 50s and 60s, even in the 70s pretty uh, significant change from the classical only model. So mm -hmm. I think I think one of the big questions we have to ask ourselves is what what do we actually mean when we say music? What are the boundaries that we do or don't want to place on that definition? Um, what are we what risks are we willing to take or, or I should say rather what innovations are we willing to try? Mm -hmm. um, uh, how how can we I think another key question related to the definition of music is, is how can we meet students and families where they are and where they are a lot is online and mm -hmm. in the digital spaces. And um, uh, obviously I'm an advocate for live performance and live performance changes hearts, minds, and lives all day, every day. And we spend so much of our lives in digital spaces that uh, if, if we're, if we're not, meeting kids and families and adults in digital spaces uh, where we are potentially missing out on an opportunity to change more hearts, minds, and lives. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, I think that's incredibly important and a, and a very, that, that, that gives me great joy for what awaits the music school of Delaware, because meeting people where they are is just such an important part of education writ large and taking the opportunities to, you know, to to to, to not only to, to see, take people where they are, and then to bring them into a world, to open up that world, to expand that world, not to sort of take them from where they are and put them into your world, and to be the one who gets the opportunities to tell them like, oh, you like this? Have you heard this? Or you like that? Do you you know we can expand this? The opportunity to open somebody's eyes and ears to mm -hmm. to new experiences and add it to their life, not to extract like i say extract them from their life and put them somewhere else is just very very important uh yeah that's all that all sounds great steven i think i think you're gonna i think you're gonna do wonderful wonderful things it sounds like to me um and it's great to know that that the i mean for obviously when i went there it was just the wilmington music school it was one building it was one group of people has expanded uh now i will also say you know, if you're going to have a statewide organization that's easy to run, Delaware is a good state for it. It's only Delaware is a good state. That's right. <laughs> yeah, so you can you can you can cover the whole the whole length and breadth. It's got three counties. It's not a big deal. Uh, and uh, you know, you you can figure it out. But it is still. I mean, it it it's it, it you know, six locations is nothing to sneeze at. And and those are wide and varied places. You're you're going all different towns with different uh, different personalities. So I'll be. I'll be interested to hear how it goes for you and, and how it how you get uh, experience Thank you. with it. Yeah, it's gonna be. Thank you. I was so I was great. I was just in I was just in Milford today. I'll tell you, I was I was just in Milford oh, today okay. for the first time. Uh, okay. I had not been had not been to Milford before. So charming, so mm -hmm. such a, a wonderful place, and and only got the smallest flavor for what that community is about. But um, but you know the the Milford branch you know serves several hundred students and families every year, and mm -hmm. and uh, an opportunity to even expand our presence and our impact uh, in the lives of people in that community. And so uh, it's it's an incredible opportunity. The the faculty are phenomenal. The staff and board so de so dedicated deeply committed to the mission an amazing community of supporters and um and a, and a lot of i'm really interested in in fostering community connections in ways we are obviously not the only people doing music education or arts education in the state there are many other uh, organizations not only public schools private schools you know parents that are homeschooling students uh not many other nonprofit organizations working from pre-k to to 12th grade uh to mm -hmm. adult learners and so how can we you know, not only support our own success institutionally, but really be part of a, a you know, what do they say, a rising tide that floats all boats and mm -hmm. really, really be part of the the complete fabric of offerings uh, in, in the state. That's fantastic. I mean, I think it, it's a, it's an exciting opportunity. Um, I And I, I think that uh, it's good to know that, that the institution will be will be in good hands and, and in a state, obviously, in my home state and a, and a place that I have a great connection to. 
uh, and I I wish you all the best and and let me know how I can help if I can. Uh, it would it's it's absolutely wonderful. Um, sliding back into Annie, I have to ask as we kind of wrap up here a little bit, and and I think I know the answer, uh, but I'm gonna ask anyway. Uh, what is your favorite song from Annie? <laughs> Is this a trick question? I have a, I have a, I ask everybody, I've got to get, in your case, I have, I have an inkling of an idea what it might be. Um, this is actually the perfect final question because I, I, I want to, I want to say more about why. Yes. Maybe, please. why maybe is my favorite song. Um, you know, not only because my mother sang it to me when I was a, a little kid, uh, at my bedside, um, and I have never shared this before, uh, but also because of her, her connection to the story. So I, I've never discussed this with my mother, but I think this to be true. Um, my mother uh, was born in Germany. Uh, hmm. She was a, a World War II baby. And in fact, she was uh, a World War II era orphan and she was uh given up for adoption and placed in an orphanage in stuttgart germany and adopted by uh, a couple from texas who worked for the red cross and brought over to texas where she was born and raised and and so i have a hunch that and i've never discussed it and i could be wrong but i have a hunch that part of my mom's connection to the story and this song when you think about um when you think about you know maybe in a house all hidden by a hill she's sitting playing piano he's sitting paying off bills betcha they're young betcha they're smart bet they collect things like ashtrays and art betcha they're good why shouldn't they be their one mistake was giving up me mm-hmm. i have a hunch that 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 resonated with my mother for some particular reasons yeah i think it's a good hunch uh yeah that's that's a really special connection and and a a deep one obviously that is just so it really speaks also i think again the authenticity of that song and the lived experience of that show that it is uh you know it's a it's a song that lyrics like bet they collect things like ashtrays and art is always is one of those great lyrics to me because it's it's very funny, you know, it's a kind of a neat little throwaway thing to say, but it speaks to the imagination of a child and to the, like, what does like, well, I know people collect art. Like that's a thing that people collect. what else do they, you know, like, Oh, you know, ashtrays are neat. It's the thirties. And I'm, you know, it's, it's, and there are all different kinds of ashtrays you could have. And it really, it's such an authentically childlike line that is like you can get a little chuckle out of it as an adult, but also it sort of get puts a little lump in your throat. We're just like, oh, that's the sweetest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And yeah, I think that's really it's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, shocking. The show that was a huge hit is very well written. Who who knew? But, you know, <laughs> we're we're here to tell you Martin Chardon knew what he was doing. <laughs> Annie, just it. it's pretty, it's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, it holds up. Original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. 
Please rate and review the original cast on your podcatcher of choice. It's the easiest way to help other listeners find the show. Go to bit.ly slash originalcaststore for original cast merchandise like t-shirts, tote bags, and more. Become a patron of the original cast at patreon.com slash originalcastpod so you can listen to our bonus podcast, The Original Cast at the Movies. On the socials, we're at originalcastpod. Special thanks to our social media manager, Bethany Zalecki. Hi, Bethany. My thanks to Stephen Baudouin for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn. And I can't. I have rehearsal. Rehearsal.